0: I got an email with three different questions on it, and we're going to attack all of them. We're going to talk about trailing stop losses. We're going to talk about a particular book, and we're going to talk about ETS, whether you should be trading them short-term or whether you can trade them just long-term. So we're going to talk about all of that. And for this email, I'm going to call this guy The Judge because he's a judge. And that's kind of a pretty good name, right, to have. And we've had Billy Bob, Bo, Frank, but we haven't had anybody named The Judge on this podcast, and that's what I'm going to do here with this email. He starts off by Ryan. Dear Ryan, sorry in advance for how long this goes on. About two months ago, I discovered your podcast and have since gone back and listened to all the episodes. This morning, I finally hit the last one, so I figured this was the time for me to email you some of the questions that I have. By the way, it's not a boring email. I actually pre-read this, and it's a good email. I think his backstory is great, and I really like it how people are providing me with their backstories on these emails because it gives me such a good insight into where you're coming from. And it really helps a lot of other traders that are listening to this podcast to hear your stories and of where you struggled and where your success is. Even if you don't have a question for me, send me your stories because they make some great episodes. So the story begins like this. I have always been interested in the stock market, but I have only recently started really diving into it. My first stock came to me back in 2008 when I asked my grandfather for a stock for my birthday. He gave me 10 shares of BAC, that's Bank of America, and he used Drip to reinvest those dividends each time there was one rendered. I still own those shares today and will probably never be able to sell them. I know that you preach not trading on emotion, but holding these 10 shares are worth the risk to me. My grandfather made millions in the stock market over the course of his lifetime and on top of his day job. However, he passed away in 2009 and the mentorship he could have offered me went with him. I was in college then and I opened a Charles Schwab account and Bought about a hundred dollars worth of various shares, mostly based on what Jim Cramer said. Uh oh! And I ended up losing <laughs> most of that capital, and ended up oh gosh, and ended up losing interest in trading as well. But I kept the account open. and left my other positions alone, and those positions have grown to a little over four hundred dollars since two thousand and nine. That's awesome. Fast forward to two thousand nineteen. Some friends introduced me to this awesome new app that was going to make everybody rich. So I downloaded Robinhood and funded it with a about $50 to play with, and instantly hated the platform. I hated the lack of research tools, and I hated the fact that it was pushing stocks on me based on whether they were trending on social media. And I hated how everyone would be enjoying dinner or drinks together, and all of a sudden, everyone would have to whip out <laughs> their phones and be expected to prove their social worth amongst each other by showing whether their chart was green that day. I couldn't put a word on it then, but Robinhood Bros. sums it up perfectly. That For those who don't know, I used to Call them, I still do call them Robin Hood Bros, but when it was at its heyday, dude, Robin Hood Bros were some of the most annoying people on the face of the earth. Continues to write that I should patent that saying, Robin Hood Bros, and that he should probably find better friends. So, yeah, (laughs) if. I got a lot of friends that trade stocks and everything. I I can't ever remember a time where we're like whipping out our smartphones and we're asking each other to show the gains for the day, whether or not your screen's green. I mean, I know that's what Robinhood likes to do and everything, but Holy cow, show me you suck at trading without showing me that you suck at trading by that kind of a behavior. Right. His email goes on to say that around the same time I met a guy that was actually doing the research and making small percentage gains consistently. He explained swing trading to me and Talked to me about the charts and patterns and Jesse Livermore, and it re-sparked my interest in trading. However, at the time, I was a criminal defense attorney with an insanely busy and chaotic schedule. I read up on technical analysis, but I felt like I could never get a handle on things enough to actually start trading. By the time I got a chance to settle down at night, the market was long closed, and I was tired. Present day, I am 34 years old. I have a wife and two kids in a much more settled schedule. Really, man, with two kids? Shoot, I got three. One of them's grown up. Two are teenage boys. And man, I don't know how settled I feel, (laughs) but no, they're good kids though. Six months ago, I was sworn in as a judge. That's the name. So no longer a practicing lawyer. My schedule is such that most days I could allocate my lunch hour to trading and I have quite a bit of freedom to engage in part-time trading when I am not actually in the courtroom. My retirement is pretty much taken care of, so I'm not worried about that. I am not really interested in becoming a full-time trader as I do love my job. Mostly my goals are to be a smart swing trader and maybe make some money along the way that I could spend on fun things with the family and or supplement my retirement. After discovering your podcast, I think I have found a support to get me back into trading with some confidence and direction. This week, I signed up for your Patreon account. That is the Swing the SwingTradingTheStockMarket.com website that goes along hand in hand with this podcast. You get all my stock market research each and every day that's going to include updates on the stock market, the big tech stocks, which was really valuable this past week with all the earnings that came out, and you're going to get weekly watch lists and different trade ideas to consider as well. So that's swing trade in the stockmarket.com. And he gave me an excellent plug. I couldn't pass that up. He says, I am planning to sign up for SharePlanner 2 in the near future, but I wanted to make sure I was ready to start entering positions before I do. Today I funded a thinkorswim account with a thousand dollars. I have been going Through videos on Thinkorswim to try and get a grasp for this program as a new trader, it is quite overwhelming, and I want to have a grasp of it before I start investing. My plan is to swing trade on Thinkorswim, and if I can go a few months with consistent gains, I will start adding capital to the account on a monthly basis. I plan on using my Schwab account as a long-term investment portfolio. Finally, on to my questions. Again, like I said, I really do like the stories because it gives me an understanding of the person, where they're coming from, who they are. It's really good, and it's also good for you guys to hear it too. First, I am wondering, what are your thoughts on trailing stop losses? I seem to remember a podcast where you talked about not using them, though I have not been able to find that exact one. It seems to me if you are letting a winner run, a trailing stop loss would be a good way to do it, especially for someone that is trading part time with a full time nine to five job who cannot keep a constant eye on their positions. Is there a time and place for trailing stop losses, or is setting a firm stop loss and moving it up as necessary and when able to a better approach? Second, have you ever read Jesse Livermore's book, How to Trade Stocks? If so, I am wondering what your thoughts on his method of technical analysis at the end of the book are. Is swing trading in today's market the same as it was in the markets of the first part of the 20th century? Are his spreadsheets methods one that can still be used today? Or has the advent of technology, especially when it comes to charting, rendered those methods archaic and more time consuming than they are worth? Third, on the podcast, you often talk about ETFs. I am not really familiar with ETFs yet, but I think I have a basic understanding of them. For those who don't know what ETFs are, those are exchange-traded funds. They're like a cluster of stocks that are managed by a person or a company or a firm, and they're publicly traded. It seems to me that all the same technical analysis applies to ETFs as does do stocks, but due to their nature, there is no fundamental analysis to be done on ETFs. Also, it seems like to me that ETFs lack the volatility that an individual stock does. My thought is that ETFs would make a great vehicle for long-term investment positions, so I'm thinking my strategy will be to swing trade stocks and invest long-term in ETFs and drip stocks. I am wondering what your thoughts are on such an idea, though. Thank you for all you do, and if I find time to respond to this email, thanks in advance. Sincerely, The Judge. All right, that was a good email. Now, as to what I'm drinking while we're doing this podcast here, I'm drinking Jack Ryan, Beggar's Bush 12-year-old malt. Great last name, and it sounds like it's a spinoff of that Amazon Prime show with Jack Ryan and all those clear and present danger movies and Patriot games, Jack Ryan. So not a bad name, but I've never had this before. I've never even heard of it until I'm just opening it up right now. And at the end of the show, I'll be and I'll be drinking it throughout. And at the end of the show, I'll be telling you what I think of it. Okay, there's a lot to cover here. First, I would like to dig through some of the email here and just pick up on some of the things that I noticed and what he was saying about his trading background in terms of your grandfather giving you 10 shares of Bank of America back in 2008 and not wanting to get rid of it. I get that. And Bank of America since then, I mean, I think it's gone from like $13 or $14 up to its present day of like $36, right? So I get not wanting to get rid of it. You're reinvesting the dividends, and it's one of those things. This is what your grandfather gave you. You want to hold on to it. I can understand that. And considering if you were like $13 or $14 back in 2008, 2009, you're talking about $100 of total value. It's not like it's going to zero. And no, it's sentimental, man. Your grandfather gave that to you. I get that. But what really killed me, though, is the whole he puts $100 of on various shares based off of what Jim Cramer says. Now, for those who don't remember back then in like 2009, Jim Cramer was a big deal. Everybody loved him. I mean, I think he goes back to what, 2005, 2004 when he started that show. But I'm telling you, back in those days, people weren't mocking him like they did today. I mean, they did to a certain extent. One of the strategies that a lot of people would do is he would talk about a stock on a show and it would immediately get this huge after hours boost. I mean, I'm talking like five, six percent. Sometimes if it was a small company, it could jump like 20 percent. It was really crazy. And people would immediately short the pop and they would make money. So that was the way that they would play the Kramer picks back in the day is they would short the after hours hype. Now, Jim Kramer actually has me blocked on Twitter. I called him out one time on one of his (laughs) really, really bad stock picks. He was like calling it the next Amazon or something of that degree. And I did a follow up question with him and he blocked me. So I don't ever get to see what he says anymore on Twitter. I kind of miss it, but oh well. It was kind of fun getting blocked by him too. I think I have most of CNBC that's blocked me. I'm not sure why most of these people I've never even met before, yet they've gone out of their way to block me for whatever reason. And by the way, I don't even watch CNBC except for probably on the FOMC days and when there's like a big earnings report like yesterday where you had Apple, Amazon, Google are reporting after the bell. You had Starbucks, Qualcomm, Ford. Was a pretty big day. So I wanted to kind of see what was happening there. Outside of that, I really don't turn it on. I just think that they're just, you know, bloviating a lot of hot air on that show. And really, I would say 99% of the people on that show are absolutely stupid. <laughs> they really are. And you look at like the opinions they give, they're just following the crowd. They're talking their book. They're following the crowd. They're really not deviating at all from the institutions that they work for. They're given the, the talking points to follow and they're following them. When the market's selling off like it did in 2022, you could see the fear. You could see the deer in the headlights expression on their faces. So don't look at CNBC as these people being like really of any kind of like value, of any kind of worth. They're not smart. They're not good at what they do. They're just really good marketers. They follow the company line and they just are simply like, mouthpieces for whatever bank or institution or hedge fund that they work for. I will say this, though. I do like Josh Brown. I think he's actually pretty good. I enjoy listening to his commentary when I happen to stumble across it, which isn't very often, but he seems to be one of the guys that's more of a realist and understands the, the gravity of a lot of situations when most others don't. But outside of that, this email has nothing to do with CNBC, but it felt good when he brought up Jim Cramer to you know rail against them a little bit. Maybe that's why they don't like me, because maybe they already knew I didn't like them. And that's why they blocked me, but he lost most of his capital, but that capital has actually grown because of the, essentially the long term effects from 2009 to 2021, the market was just on one of the most historical bull market runs of all time. Yeah. Even if he took a loss initially on, on most of his trades that during that time, if he had a couple of good plays, he could easily have made $400 off of it just by simply holding until now. One of the things that was really good. And I wish, you know, I knew who this person was, but he met a guy that did swing trading. He was really outside of the whole Robin Hood Wall Street bets crowd and he was just making consistent gains regularly. And that's really what trading is about. It's not about hitting it big on one particular stock. So many people trade like that. They think that that's what trading's about, hitting these big home runs, but it's really not. It's about a series of good, consistent winners time and time and time again, keeping the losses small, keeping it to where your losses don't define your portfolio, but they're so minimal that it highlights all of the winning trades that you had throughout the year. Now, present day, He's 34 years old, has a wife and two kids. He has more time than he did when he was just a criminal defense attorney. Now he has some downtime during the day. He talked about how lunchtime is one time where he could probably do a lot of swing trading. And that could be a time where it keeps him out of a lot of bad trades. Because the two periods of time that most people get themselves into trouble is at the beginning and at the end of the day. But probably more so at the beginning because there's so much hype. There's a gap that people are probably talking about. Usually before the market opens up, whether it's higher or lower, and when that market opens, boom, people are flooding the market with orders. They're market ordering into things. They're getting horrible fills, and it's just not a good time to trade. I never trade in the first thirty minutes of trading. I refuse to. And yet he's not able to do that because he's the judge and he's having to sit in a courtroom during that time most days. And so the lunchtime offers him a great opportunity to actually look at the markets. But what's cool about that? That's usually the lowest volatility period in the market. So you're able to really see how the stock market has settled in. What is it doing? What is its trajectory for the day? And then what stocks are lining up with the the right industry sector and market direction. So I think in his situation, it's actually a good position to be in because if he needs to make stop loss adjustments based off of what was seen early on in the day, he can do that. If he needs to get into a trade, you know, it's during one of the calmer periods of the market session and that works to his advantage as well. Now, remember too, when you're signing up with thinkorswim that's what i use and i know a lot of people use them it's a great platform i have no beef i think i've been using them since gosh i was using them before they got bought out of td ameritrade and since then td ameritrade bought them and then charles schwab bought them they've really not changed too much over the years i mean the platform looks almost identical to what it was just 12 13 years ago but it's still a really good platform i have not had too many issues with them at all but if you're just checking them out for the first time, it can be a little bit on the overwhelming side. And the videos, that's probably a good way to start. But they also offer when you set up an account, and if you've had it and you've never taken advantage of it, I'd probably call them up and say, hey, I really like the the walkthrough on your platform. There's a guy that'll call you up and do like a remote screen sharing session with you and walk you through the whole thing. I actually found that really beneficial the last time I did it. And I had already been using it for like 10 years. I think I was setting up another account. And uh, I just went ahead and took that. And it was really nice to do that. All right, so what about his questions? Trailing stops, are they better than just creating manual stops, putting in the stop order every day? I think they are. I think they're a whole lot better now. Trailing stops, if you have no other recourse, is trailing stops better than nothing? Absolutely, man. At least you're protecting the risk in some direction. But what I don't like about trailing stops is that it creates the potential for the stop loss to be placed in the absolute wrong areas. Because what I like to do is, I like my stop losses to be below key support levels. I wanted to know that if it breaks through that support level and triggers my stop, something is changing technically on the stock that makes it to where I don't want to be in it any longer. It also creates less likelihood that when it breaks through that support, that it's just going to go right bouncing back up to where it was before. Trilling stop losses, though, it can have just like a general pullback. It might not violate anything technically, but it stops you out of the trade. Why? Because that's just where the trailing stop loss was placed at, you know, And, and for those who don't, know what a trailing stop loss is. It's essentially, you can set it by dollar, you can set it by percentage, but you can be like, okay, I want my stop loss to be placed 2% from the highest point that the stock has been at since I got into the trade. So then let's say you're doing this overnight, you're good to cancel and the stock opens up 5% higher and pulls back 3% and then shoots back up all the way up to 7% or something. That can happen the first 30 minutes of trading, you're out of the stock. So even with like a winning trade, when you're letting it run, it's better to just readjust the stop loss manually as the opportunity permits you to be able to do so because otherwise if you're doing a trillion stop stop loss might be placed above a rising trend line or above a key support level when it should be below both of those now this book i actually need to read this book jesse livermore's how to trade stocks i've heard about it but i forgot about that book i really need to read that book so I'm, i think after this after i'm done recording this podcast episode i'm going to put an order in for it and uh, after I get done reading it, I'll do a, a episode about it. It should be sometime this year that I'm able to get to it. And yeah, we'll talk about it. Maybe I'll make a couple episodes out of it. But I think it's a, anything by Jesse Livermore is really good. He was really a trailblazer back in the early 1900s trading stocks. And yes, he blew up accounts. He was a legend in his own right. I mean, he was a guy who knew how to read the tape, who was really able to read the markets and make some pretty good trades. I think he killed himself, though, at the end. But so much of what he says, if you read Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, my favorite book of all time, if you read that book, I can't even begin to tell you how many good tidbits of trading knowledge is just dropped in that book. I mean, it is an amazing, amazing book, and it's about Jesse Livermore. But there's so much good stuff to take away in that book. I mean, when I, my copy of it, it is completely underlined everywhere. And his trading methods are really not outdated. I mean, he's talking about breakouts. He talks about trend lines. He just does it in different ways. Yes, the market's a lot different than it was back then. We have technology up the yin-yang versus what we had back then. We don't even have commissions now anymore. We just let our brokers front run us. And the charting methods, they are still, while they're very much more advanced in today's day and age, the stuff that he talks about can be applied to the charts. I mean, so many of the good old books are still very much applicable to today's trading. Third question, ETFs. I think ETFs are good for short or long terms. And he mentions, I think that ETFs might be less volatile than underlying stock. Not true at all because... ETFs, like you take a a leveraged ETF of UPRO, which is 3x of the SPY, right? I mean, you're getting a 3x return for what the S&P 500 is doing. Now, granted, SPY is also an ETF, but is UPRO going to be more volatile than KHC, which is Kraft Heinz? Yeah, probably so. Or NEE, yeah, I would expect. Or Apple, yeah. Or let's take SQQQ and TQQQ, which are 3 to 1 returns, both inverse and normal, of the nasdaq 100 are those going to be inherently more volatile than apple yeah and you take something like ibb because there's going to be a whole array of biotech stocks that are involved in ibb could it be more volatile than say pfizer or j and j yeah it could be more volatile than those so i think etfs they can be used both for swing trading and long term i have ETFs in my long-term account. And I also trade ETFs in the short term. In fact, most of 2022 was all ETFs. I didn't trade many regular stocks. I did some, but I didn't trade a ton. And I definitely like ETFs way better than mutual funds. Mutual funds usually have a higher fee to them. And the good thing about ETFs, like if you're looking for long-term returns that match the market in your long-term accounts, then yeah, SPY and QS, those, I mean, SPY is essentially a long-term return at the S&P 500, right? You're getting the return each year of the S&P 500. And then QQQ is giving you the annual return of the NASDAQ 100. Plus you're getting dividends, which that also helps too. So you can swing trade them. You can use them for long-term investments. I really like them for long-term investments. I think, you know, people getting into trading should probably, when they're trying to build up a long-term portfolio, focus some on the spies and the Qs, especially when they have like dips, like what we saw over the course of 2022, that offer some really good buying opportunities. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would encourage you to keep sending me your emails. Man, I'm continuing to get them and I really, really do like them. They keep giving me some really good material to work with each and every week. I'd also encourage you to check out swingtradingthestockmarket.com as well. Man, that is the vehicle that continues to fund this podcast and allow me to provide you with this great content each and every week. Plus, leave me a five star review on whatever platform you're listening to me on. If I've been an impact to you in your trading, the best thing you can do to return the favors by leaving me a five-star review. I do really appreciate those, and it does help me continue to spread the message about good risk management principles when it comes to trading in the stock market. And as for this bourbon, this has actually been a pretty good bourbon. I'm actually surprised that it tastes as good as it is. Again, it's a single malt Irish whiskey. It's 12 years old. It's called Beggar's Bush 12. It's called Jack Ryan. And it's got a lot of like honey and orange zest flavors to it. It's really good. It has some tropical appeal to it this might be better than the last one that i had the last irish whiskey from the last podcast i'm gonna give this one a seven four i think it's really good really got good flavors seven four for jack ryan very much surprised by that but it's good all right guys i'm out here ryan at sharepointer.com send me your questions thank you god bless